Let the, word go the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s is a pioneering program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of shared values. Sixty years later, we examine our divisions, our connections, our shared pains and successes in a new program called Challenge 2.0. In four days, Ukrainians will observe the 22nd anniversary of their nation's declaration of independence. The holiday will be a bittersweet one, coming during the continuing Russian invasion and occupation of the Ukraine, an invasion that has cost thousands of lives and resulted in the kidnapping and forced relocation of Ukrainian children to Russia. Although the International Criminal Court has issued a war crimes arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin, major American politicians continue to express support for Russia. In this edition of Challenge 2.0, a leader of the Ukrainian Association of Washington shares what her fellow Ukrainians would like Americans to know. And we have with us today a person who's particularly aware and familiar with all the various issues and all the various related tragedies from the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, and that is Tanya Zyka. Tanya is a member of the Ukrainian Association of Washington State, if I have that correct, yes. and been very active in trying to find ways to aid uh, Ukrainians either that are moving out of the Ukraine or still in Ukraine. Thank you so much for joining us, Tanya. Thank you for having me. What I'd like to do is go back, uh, and as I understand, if I remember correctly, you were born and raised in the Ukraine throughout much of your life and then moved to the United States. What do you remember from your life in the Ukraine most as a child? So I was born in Kiev, and I lived there for 14 years. So I, I moved here as a teenager. Um, my memories, my brightest memories mm -hmm. are from time at my grandma's village. So generation of my parents, as, uh, as Soviet Union was going through industri uh, industrialization, mm -hmm. um, parents who, uh, people who were born after World War II were still predominantly born in the rural areas. Mm -hmm. And then youth, as they grew up, they would move to uh, big cities to get education. And most likely they would stay in big cities and work in factories mm -hmm. and, um, um, so there was this big tendencies of uh, people from my generation to have grandparents in villages mm -hmm. in on the farms. So um, our parents moved to big cities and then had us, and then all the grandkids would get shipped off to the farm uh, for the summer because almost everybody from big cities had uh, grandparents mm -hmm. uh, on the farm. So in the summertime, I would get shipped to, to the farm to work mm -hmm. and, um, and just to, to be a kid, do all the fun stuff that farm, farmland offers. So, uh, and there's also a lot of other kids that also came from big cities to, to the farm. So um, even though it was a lot of work, I, I know how to milk a cow, I had to collect hay, I had to, potatoes is a big thing. Mm -hmm. So we had to, and it's all manual labor. You take your uh, manual tools and you, um, first you plant the potatoes and then you pull the weeds and we're talking acres. Acres so this wasn't acres. something you do in the space of a morning uh, no. and then be off for the no. afternoon. 
No, right now I have a two by two little <laughs> vegetable bed and I, I, I can't keep up. But then um, back, back then it was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But it, those are my brightest, brightest memories. And what sort of, when you did have some downtime, when you uh -huh. weren't weeding or taking care of things, what sort of things did you do for fun? And I think that's so important because when uh, any location is the center of news coverage for something as uh, tragic as the invasion, we get a picture of a place based on what we see in the news coverage. And we don't recognize that there was this whole uh, experience outside of that. So what are your fondest memories uh, outside of doing the farm work? Uh, what would you do for fun and how did you relate with your grandparents when you would go to the farm? Uh, see, I was a very good child. So for fun, I read. Mm -hmm. um, read and studied. Um, I think because my years in Ukraine were up until 14. I mm -hmm. was still uh, very uh, structured and controlled right. <laughs> by what I have to do. Mm -hmm. But what I would like to tell you uh, how Ukraine is now outside of before the war. Mm -hmm. Well, and by when we say before the war, we need to keep in mind that the war started in 2014. Right. Not in February of 2022. So um, Ukraine is very, um, very much a Western country. Mm -hmm. uh, it has very good uh, fashion industry, excellent service. Um, there is a big problem with new uh, people who are immigrating here that they cannot find service that's uh, up to par to uh. Ukrainian level. Even little things like restaurants or beauty salons. I know it's war first world, world problems, but um, uh, there's quite a difference in um, in uh, like even the service industry, mm -hmm. how um, everything is a lot more tuned and a lot more attention to detail back home. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, IT industry is very developed. There's a lot of IT um, specialists who come here and mm -hmm. um, are recruited by Google and Microsoft and Facebook. So um, when we see images of Ukraine right now, it's all destruction and pain, and um, you know it's all gray and um, not as beautiful to look at. But pre-war, it was a very, very um, young and developing country mm -hmm. with a lot of potential. Uh, when you were still living in Kiev and when you uh, were in Ukraine, what do you remember of the relationships between what was initially the USSR and later Russia and the Ukraine. Was there always this undercurrent of tension or were uh, there times when the relationship was more positive? So uh, I was growing up in Soviet Union, mm -hmm. right? Uh, your communist country. And, uh, and of course there was this propaganda mm -hmm. that we're living the best life uh, possible. Uh, very similar to what North Korea is doing right now right. or very similar to Russia is doing right now. Mm -hmm. Because if you watch Russian TV, you know, Americans are eating dog food because there is no food and uh, uh, British are hunting squirrels mm -hmm. to grill. So um, their portrayal of the West is um, that they live horrible life and we live perfect life. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I remember as a child living in, uh, in uh, Soviet Union, that uh, I have the best po life possible. Mm -hmm. So, and as a child, you don't really question a lot of things, mm -hmm. of course. But now that I uh, learn more about history, 
I, I understand that uh, Russian Empire, and when I'm talking about Russian Empire, so pre-USSR, mm -hmm. uh, it was Tsar, right? Right. And there was a big empire. And then when uh, the revolution happened in 1917, the Russian Empire fell apart, and the new empire formed. Now it's called uh, U uh, USSR, mm -hmm. right? Same concept. Still, there is a um, central uh, decision making in Moscow, mm -hmm. and still they're occupying um, territories. They're con conquering uh, neighboring territories, and USSR con uh, consisted of 15 states, republics. And now that I am looking at things, they did occupy, they did conquer mm -hmm. them and force them to be under the rule of Moscow. So Ukraine was. Um, Ukraine and Russia, um, they always had a very um, difficult relationship. So um, under the Tsar, there was numerous laws passed where Ukrainian language was forbidden, uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, writers were exiled or mm -hmm. killed. All the um, brains and um, um, people who could develop Ukraine were always um, hunted upon. Mm -hmm. And from what I remember in, um, as a child, my grandma would tell me her memories of the famine of uh, 1932, 1933. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the episodes when Russia was uh, exterminating Ukrainians. So th that famine uh, was man-made um, as Soviet Union was going through uh, collectivization, and collectivization is when you take people's private lands mm -hmm. and make it uh, government-owned. So my grandma was telling me um, how she had uh, government officials come to their house and take everything. And mm. when you buy everything, it's everything. You, they take your uh, furniture, they take your clothes, they t took the roof of the house. They took the roof they off the house. They took off the roof of the house because my my grandma's family was um, very hardworking and they were better off than average family. Mm -hmm. And they had a metal roof. So uh. average family had straw roof and they had a metal roof. So they took the roof. Mm. And again, we're talking, it, this is 1932. Um, and my, my grandma was five at the time. So she remembers that her uh, father um, was dead on the floor, starved to death. And she was, uh, she said they left salt and uh, matches. So she, mm. she took the box of matches and she was playing on, on her father's chest, just um, playing with matches as a little child, not realizing that her father is dead. Uh, her little sister uh, died of starvation, three years old and her brothers died of starvation, seven years old. Tanya, that raises for me an interesting question. That is, you mentioned that there was Ukrainian uh, language, mm -hmm. there were Ukrainian uh, intellectuals, writers, uh, and artists that were exiled. Uh, so Ukraine, even though the general association, I think, in much of the United States is that Ukraine was a part of the USSR, and of course, we'll talk later about the claims made by Russia right now, is that it was a distinct entity. It was its own culture that grew up and was eventually assimilated into Tsarist Russia, I would assume. Uh, give us a little background on that, if you would. Yeah, so Ukrainian, uh, Ukraine has its own culture. It has its own language. Mm -hmm. and. Um, 
Ukrainian people, and if you're following the news, you can tell Ukrainian people are fighters. Yes. They're not easily submissive people. So uh, through history, as Russia was trying to take over Ukraine, um, Russia had to do a lot of steps to erase Ukrainian culture. Mm -hmm. There is a saying, uh, uh, our uh, very famous Ukrainian poet, Alina um, Kostenka, she says, if you want to uh, destroy a nation, start with its language. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a, a lot of persecution uh, against Ukrainian language. And I, I'm a very good example of what happened historically. Mm -hmm. I'm Ukrainian, but uh, I was born into a Russian-speaking family. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm what's called a Russian-speaking Ukrainian, which right now uh, I realize it I I represent the oppression mm -hmm. of Russia uh, of, of Ukrainian people by Russia so what uh, what that means um, um, entire regions of Ukraine were um, exiled into Siberia into Kazakhstan mm. uh, and then Russians were sent to fill those territories and they brought the Russian language with them about what time period did that happen uh, as uh, uh, so, I don't want to be inaccurate, but I think it's uh, early 1900s. Okay. Yeah, but in fact, check, check that uh, statistic. But I think early 1900s. So this predated by a considerable period all of uh, the events we're here to talk about today. What was your last? When was your last visit to the Ukraine prior to the Russian invasion? Then. Ni um, 2015. 2015, right after things settled um, after the first mm -hmm. um, inva uh, invasion. What do you remember from that visit? You know, for example, what was the mood like? Well, it's definitely uh, more patriotic. Mm -hmm. um, one of Russians' objectives was their stated objective that Putin stated that um, why he attacked is that in denazification mm -hmm. of uh, of Ukraine. So um, he was trying to make us less patriotic. Mm -hmm. And the result is exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, people who did not speak um, Ukrainian started to learn Ukrainian. Interesting. Because they don't want to, they just like me, I, I'm one of those people. I'm, mm -hmm. uh, I'm relearning re my Ukrainian. I uh, try to speak Ukrainian to everybody who understands Ukrainian. I still speak Russian to my Russian friends. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, um, so when I was back there in 2015, I did feel a lot more pride, um, a, more, a lot more unity. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the life was still seemed normal in mm -hmm. the Ki in Kiev. I was in Kiev, mm -hmm. but uh, there was definitely full fo full war scale. Uh, full scale war was happening um, on the east of the mm -hmm. country. So um, I did see, you know, military men, young men walking around. Yeah. As you've been in contact with friends, relatives uh, who are still in the Ukraine, what are some of the stories that they have told you about? Uh, that have made the biggest impression on you? You know, I am in direct contact because I volunteer a mm -hmm. lot. This is uh, like my second job now. Yeah. And I am in daily contact with uh, everyday heroes back home. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of, uh, there's different things that I do for Ukraine, but uh, one part is um, I um, 
I work with some women and children who mm -hmm. are refugees, internal refugees. They're still in Ukraine, but mm -hmm. they had to leave their homes from uh, in the east part of the country and moved west where it's safer. So one thing that amazes me is um, they have nothing. They lost their homes. They left their homes with mm -hmm. just a backpack. And they make um, art. They make jewelry. Mm -hmm. They make toys. And they send them to me. I sell them here at fairs, uh, fundraisers, and send the money back to them. And every single one of them said, Tanya, um, half of the money we want you to donate to, to the army mm -hmm. or to other people who are in need. Mm -hmm. So even it being in positions uh, where they are right now, they still want to donate and not keep all the money for themselves. To me, that's pretty amazing. You had a phrase, uh, and I may not have it exactly correct, but I think you said everyday heroes. Yeah. Uh, what makes them everyday heroes? What has their life experience been? What has been their mission that uh, makes them a hero? I, I have hundreds of stories. I, um, to many um, volunteers that I work with, mm -hmm. um, definitely shift in values of what's important money lost its value mm -hmm. to me as well um, because I'm a, I'm a single parent. I live from paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden it's not a problem anymore. Mm -hmm. And because I, I, I realized that money is so insignificant when you have, it, when your child has two legs mm -hmm. and two arms and they're not torn off, mm. it's, you know, not having enough money to buy a new pair of shoes is mm -hmm. like, it's not important anymore. Right. So um, people back home, uh, one thing that I find across the board is um, a shift in values. Also refocusing on living the, your best life today. And they're teaching me, they're sitting under bombs. Mm -hmm. I, I get, sometimes they s send me video, live videos mm -hmm. of um, things exploding. Like they're sitting in their apartment and there's all this terrible noise everywhere because they're being bombed. And I am trying to pacify them and comfort them. And they're like, Tanya, don't worry. You, 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 you need to sleep. It's, it, it's too early and you're not going to have um, you know, enough sleep mm -hmm. and you're going to be worried about us. So you need to um, um, like worry about us a little bit less. Right. So they're uh, trying to calm me down sitting under a bombing. So uh, that, yeah, it, those people are just, um, I realize the spirit, uh, the human spirit, and how far it can rise. Um, I met some soldiers who came here to United States, mm -hmm. and there is a big, uh, very, very good uh, foundation. It's called Pro Protez uh, Foundation. They make prosthetics, mm -hmm. and they're in Minnesota. And um, the heroes who protected, uh, who are protecting Ukraine at the front lines, mm -hmm. um, those who lost their limbs. They came here for prosthetics, and they um, they toured United States to raise funds for other uh, mm -hmm. soldiers. Young young men, early twenties, um, just beautiful human beings, and um, as soon as they're comfortable walking again, mm -hmm. they're going back to the front lines and keep fighting. So 
you know, your Superman and your um, um, Spider-Man, all of a sudden, they are nothing compared to human people who do all these heroic things. Right, right. What does that, do, if I can ask, what does that do to you when you get off the phone? Uh, you've met one of these soldiers who have given everything up to almost their lives, or you are talking with friends or relatives and they're saying, the bombs are falling, that's that noise, rest. What does that do to you when you get off the phone? I mean, that must be difficult to deal with, too. You know, um, it, they inspire me. Mm -hmm. I, um, it by no means um, makes me, well, it does make me sad, but mm -hmm. it does not disappoint me. Mm -hmm. it, it moves me to do more. Mm -hmm. And working with uh, volunteers back home, I have millions of examples of how much a single person can do. Mm -hmm. um, it, it sounds like a cliche, and it's been said many million times, but each of us can do so much. Even if it's, even if somebody doesn't have money to donate, mm -hmm. they can do a small gesture to give somebody hope. Right. Um, I had, uh, it gives me goosebumps. I had- um, You're not alone. <laughs> uh, when the war started, I, I did a, a drive for clothes. Mm -hmm because it started in February and winters are cold in February. And in my neighborhoods, I posted on Facebook that I'm collecting clothes for Ukraine to mm -hmm. be shipped. And people were bringing clothes and some, some people were bringing little notes, like we're with you and mm -hmm. hugs. And this one lady, she, um, she brought uh, fleece coats from her husband who passed away. And he, um, he passed away right after uh, February uh, 22nd, mm -hmm. right after the invasion. So he was very, very uh, concerned about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And in her notes, she wrote about her husband who was so worried about Ukrainian people and he passed away. And now his fleece coat can give warmth to, to someone who's wow. in the trenches. Yeah. So, and I send these little notes home to the soldiers and I get pictures of them reading the notes, mm -hmm. you know, and it gives them hope uh, that somebody cares. Right. And hope is something you cannot buy with no amount of money. When the invasion initially happened, uh, there was the expectation, I think, among news coverage, uh, news reporters, that this was going to be over very quickly. What did we miss in the United States and uh, the rest of Europe? Uh, in terms of assessing the ability, not only of President Zelensky, but of people in the Ukraine and their willingness and ability to stand up to Russia? Well, one thing that Russia did is now everybody knows about Ukraine mm -hmm. and everybody knows who we are and um, how strong and um, unwavering the spirit of Ukrainian people is. What are some people watching this program? What are some things that they could do to assist uh, fellow Ukrainians, both in the Ukraine as well as over in this country? I think uh, two things. So one would be uh, vote. Uh, talk to your congressmen. Mm -hmm. Talk to your representatives who can make the votes in favor mm -hmm. of um, helping Ukraine win. Mm -hmm. And I always like to make two distinctions. 
peace for Ukraine and victory for Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Two very different things. If those who say peace for Ukraine, it, peace of U for Ukraine can be done today if Ukraine gives up. Mm -hmm. Russia takes over, they tell us they occupy us, the war ends and Ukraine ends as well. Mm -hmm. There's not gonna be Ukraine. So when um, we are talking to our representatives, congressmen, we want mm -hmm. victory for Ukraine. Right. So that's a very big distinction. And second, second thing is, of course, donating to organizations that, that you trust. Um, I'm a representative of Ukrainian Association of Washington State. I can tell you more uh, later about what we do, but um, we cannot do anything without donations, of course. Is there a question I haven't asked that would address a point that you'd like to bring up? Before I forget, okay. I would like to ev invite everyone um, to a big celebration, big uh, festival. It's um, Ukrainian Independence Day. Mm -hmm. uh, Ukrainian Independence Day is August 24th, but the celebration will be on a Saturday, mm -hmm. August 26th in Renton. And it will be, um, last year it was several thousand people with um, delicious food, music, um, activities for the whole family. And we, unfortunately, Ukraine have been in the news as a place of pain mm -hmm. and disaster right now. But we want to show you our true culture and what we're all about. And um, we're about uh, family, we're about uh, spirit, we're about beauty and passion. And um, when you come to our celebration, uh, you will get immersed in all of that. Tanya, thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to be part of this conversation, carrying it over into next week's episode. So we definitely hope you'll join us again next week for Challenge 2.0 as we continue this very important conversation. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.